She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm Sarah Gorski, and I am here today for a solo episode. It's just me, and I have brought y'all the most amazing woman who I hadn't actually heard of until she was suggested to me, and I am really excited to dig into her. So today, folks, I am bringing you Wilma Rudolph. Now, you may have heard her name if you are either an Olympics aficionado or if you are really into track and field. But if you aren't any of those, then it could be this is the first time you're hearing her name. And I am so excited to introduce you to her. So I am going to jump right in. Wilma Gladian Rudolph was born June 23rd, 1940 in St. Bethlehem, Tennessee. Today, that's part of Clarksville, Tennessee, and her dad is Ed Rudolph, and her mom is Blanche Rudolph. She was the 20th of 22 children. Some of those kids are from her father's previous marriage, but still, what? It's like a ton of kids. I cannot even imagine a household or family of 22 kids. (laughs) And Wilma herself, she was a preemie. At birth, she weighed four and a half pounds. That's two kilograms for those of you listening, not in America. Why America's so adamant about not using the metric system, I have no idea. I don't think anybody knows. It's a mystery of uh, American stubbornism. Um, And anyway, shortly after Wilma's birth, her family moves to Clarksville. And that's where she grew up and attended elementary and high school. Her father worked as a railway porter and did odd jobs around Clarksville, and her mother, Blanche, worked as a maid. It's also worth mentioning, because it is relevant to her story in a little bit, that Wilma and her whole family are black. They're African-American. Now, when she was very young, Wilma was super sick all the time. Before the age of four, she had contracted measles, whooping cough, scarlet fever, and double pneumonia, those last two almost killed her. And when she's four years old, she gets polio. And this causes infantile paralysis. She is able to recover from polio, but had lost almost all of the strength in her left leg and foot, which made her physically disabled for much of her childhood. And she wore this steel leg brace, which I'm sure... You probably have seen like references to that in other movies of when people have polio and those big clunky braces. But her parents were determined to make sure that Wilma got as many treatments as possible to help course correct all the damage of polio. And there was a quote from Wilma uh, in her autobiography. She said, quote, my doctor told me I would never walk again. My mother told me I would. I believed my mother. But, of course, it's the 1940s, and Wilma and her family are black, and there simply are not medical care facilities available to them because they were white only in Clarksville. But there was a historically black college, Meharry Medical College, 
in Nashville, which is about 50 miles away from where they were in Clarksville. And if you look it up today, it's called Nashville General Hospital at Meharry or Meharry. Not really sure. M-E-H-A-R-R-Y. For two whole years, Wilma and her mom make weekly bus trips to Nashville for treatments. One article said that they made this trip over 200 times. And there they were getting treatments and working on regaining the use of her weakened leg. And the doctors there prescribed her intensive and extensive massage and they taught her mom how to do it. The medical staff like trained her all up on how to do this at home. And then her mom comes back home and in turn she teaches Wilma's dad and all their brothers and sisters, all 21 of her brothers and sisters. So there's like 40 hands in the house that can do these massages for her. So she was getting massage treatments from her family four times a day and she wore her brace and her orthopedic shoe Uh, another two years, and all of these long trips, treatments, and massages, and all the shoes, braces, everything she has to go through, they do end up paying off. And Wilma is able to overcome the debilitating effects of polio, and eventually, when she's 12 years old, she's able to walk without a leg brace or orthopedic shoe. Wilma, who was once called, quote, the sickliest girl in Clarksville, could walk without a brace after five years of treatments. Now, because she had been so sick most of her childhood, uh, and she had so much trouble getting around post-polio, she couldn't walk very well, um, she was homeschooled for kindergarten and for first grade. But by second grade, when she's seven, she's getting around well enough that she could go to Cobb Elementary School in Clarksville. So she gets to kind of get back into the, the public school system. And then as she gets older, she enrolls in Burt High School. And at Burt High School, she is accepted onto the basketball team. And apparently one of the sources I said uh, I read said that Uh, Her father insisted that Wilma and her sister Yolanda, who was already a pretty good basketball player, came as a package. So they had to let her on the team. And after two years on the bench and not really getting to play very much, she still had made a pretty good impression on her coach, CeCe Gray. And she, after two years on the bench, becomes a starter on the team. And her coach nicknames her Skeeter like a mosquito, and he said, quote, you're little, you're fast, and you're always in my way. And she becomes a prolific scorer on the court. She holds a state record of 49 points in one game and 803 points in a season, and she made All-State. She's so friggin' great at basketball. Now, the athletics department at Burt is kind of in – just starting to develop and they have a brand new newly established track team and Wilma starts to run in the track team in the off season and she is pretty good at that too she is unbeaten in 20 different races 500 meters 75 meter 100 meter 200 and the 4 by 100 meter relay i For those of you who aren't runners, there's a lot of different races (laughs) that happen in track. Um, They're just different distances. I think think we can all follow along. We can do it together. I'm not a runner myself, but I I have to run enough when I go to the gym that I'm I'm starting to learn these things. (laughs) Now, um, Tennessee Agricultural and Industrial State University had 
a killer track team at this time, led by this guy, Coach Ed Temple. And Ed Temple happened to be a really good friend of CeCe Gray, Wilma's coach. He was kind of the reason that CeCe started the track program in the first place. And Ed is seeing Wilma run the shit out of all these races. And he's really impressed. And he invites Wilma, who is 14 years old, she's still like a baby girl, to join his summer training program at the university. And she's like, Hell yeah! And she goes to the track camp. And apparently Ed ran a really tight ship. And after the camp, Wilma enters into an amateur athletic union track meet in Philadelphia, and she wins all nine events that she entered in. And so she continues to train regularly at... Uh, I'm just going to call it TSU. I'm not sure <laughs> that it's, if it's the correct abbreviation. And she's running under Ed while she's still in high school. And she begins racing at amateur athletic events with the TS- TSU's women's track team, which were known as the Tiger Bells. And she runs with them two more years before she officially ends up enrolling as a student at TSU, which happens in 1958. Uh, but before that... When Wilma is 16 and a junior in high school, she attends, with Ed and the team, the 1956 U.S. Olympic track and field team trials in Seattle, and she qualifies to compete in the 200-meter individual event at the Summer Olympics in Melbourne in 1956. She is the youngest member of the U.S. Olympic team that year, and she was one of five Tiger Bells, the TSU track team, to qualify for the 1956 Melbourne Olympics. So Ed was running a hell of a team. At the big game in Melbourne, Wilma is defeated in a preliminary heat of the 200-meter race, but she runs the third leg of the 4x100-meter relay. And remember, the rest of her team is all Tiger Bells, girls she's already been running with. And they win the bronze medal, and they match the world record time of 44.9 seconds. Uh, Just for anybody else who is an amateur athlete, that's 400 meters broken up into into 100-meter chunks in 44.9 seconds uh, as somebody who CrossFits but is bad at running it takes me um i think like two and a half minutes to run 400 meters and they do it in just under 45 seconds i still can't quite comprehend people who run that quickly i am absolutely amazed by them so anyway Wilma has got a bronze medal and she goes back to high school because she's still in high school and she brings her bronze medal and she said quote they passed my bronze medal around so everybody could touch, feel, and see what an Olympic medal is like. When I got it back, there were handprints all over it. I took it and I started shining it up. I discovered that bronze doesn't shine. So I decided I'm going to try this one more time. I'm going to go for the gold. (laughs) She's got her first taste of the bronze and it's not enough. But... In her senior year, Wilma becomes pregnant with her first daughter, Yolanda, and she ends up missing a season of competition. The baby ended up being looked after by her sister in St. Louis, and eventually her parents, Ed and Blanche, become the baby's primary caregiver because 
At, at this point, Wilma was enrolled uh, as a student. She had graduated high school or was about to graduate high school, and she was basically going to go to TSU. But Ed had a rule about no mothers being on his team. And he, he made an exception for Wilma, but there kind of like couldn't be like a baby around at rehears- at rehearsal. I said rehearsal because I'm an actor. No, at, at practice. So Wilma's family kind of picks up the responsibility for watching over the baby so that Wilma can continue in school and continue racing. And Wilma... She is racing. She does care a lot about racing, but she also cares as much or possibly more about her actual elementary education degree, which is what she's going to school for. Um, So the running is part of the reason she got into the university and had all these exceptions made to her, but she did really want to get that degree. So after the season that she has to take off when she is pregnant and having the baby, she returns to the university and she continues to train with Ed and the other Tiger Bells. Um, It's also worth noting uh, that there are a lot of changes happening in her body at this period of time, partially due to having a baby, but also partially because she's like finishing puberty and and it's worth talking about body changes when we talk about athletes because that changes a lot of things for athletes that are competing so in melbourne the first olympic she she went to she weighed 89 pounds and four years later she would be clocking in at 130 and she's 511 um so that's still really light and small like i weigh more than 130 (laughs) um but as her body is kind of growing and changing, she really starts to come into herself like as an athlete. And she starts to get really good and really shine on the team. Uh, and also, apparently, she had a tonsillectomy in 1960. And she previously had been sick fairly often with various viruses. And so she would go through these weak periods and she would not be doing great in practice. And then after her tonsillectomy, she like has no more of those virus issues, and she's just, like, full strength all the time. Now, Ed Temple, uh, he is appointed to coach the U.S. women's track and field team for the 1960 Olympics in Rome. And he would end up picking his team after the Olympic trials, which would be held at uh, Texas Christian University. But before that, they have all of these other qualifiers, right? So at the National Amateur Athletic Union in Corpus Christi, a few weeks before the trials, uh, Wilma, they're they're all going to the meet together as a team because, you know, that you have this whole track and field team. And the bus driver picks them up and, or goes to pick them up, and he sees that they are an integrated team. And he refuses to take them to the stadium. And uh, Wilma apparently was was shocked by this because it hadn't really been an issue before this for them. And they ended up finding a replacement driver and she got to the stadium, they all got to the stadium, and she qualified for the trials in three sprint events. She ran the 200 meter in 22.9 seconds, which is was a world record. Uh, She ended up defending that record for four years, by the way, which is a really long time in sports records. Um, Then in Fort Worth at Texas Christian University, she wins the 100 meter and 200 meter races. And officially, she makes the team for Rome. 
And the team trains for three weeks at Kansas State University. And then they all fly to New York to get fitted for their Olympic uniforms. And they get to Rome like two weeks before the Olympics and they start preparing. And the 1960 Summer Olympics is the big event that she is or will be most remembered for. So at the 1960 Olympics, she competes in three events, the 100 and 200 meter sprints, as well as that four by 100 meter relay with her other Tiger Bells. So first, she runs the 100 meter race and she takes gold. She's the first American woman to win a gold medal in that event since 1936. She runs it in 11 seconds, 11.0 seconds, which was technically a world record. However, it wasn't officially considered a world record because apparently the wind was blowing too hard. And you think you've like heard all the BS there is with the IOC and then they continue to surprise you, right? Every time we hear these stories. So a world record, but not a world record. And then Wilma runs the 200-meter dash, and she sets a new Olympic record of 23.2 seconds in the opening heat. And in the, in the finals, the, the opening heat, they do, all these, they do many different versions of the races, right? And then the finals is where the, the medals are um, awarded. And so in the finals, she finishes in 24 seconds, and she wins her second gold medal of the 1960 Olympics. And now at this point, internationally, she is being hailed as, quote, the fastest woman in history. So now we're on to the relay. It's September 7th, 1960. It's hot as fuck in Rome. It's like 110 degrees Fahrenheit or 43 degrees Celsius. And there are thousands of spectators jammed into this stadium. And Wilma and her Tiger Bell teammates run the 4 by 100 meter relay. And they set a world record of 44.4 seconds in the semifinals. And then in the finals, they run it in 44.5 seconds. And it's very dramatic. There's this quote in one of the articles I found that said, quote, The USA had set a world record in the heat and established a lead in the final by the time Wilma was ready to leave her box. But she fumbled the baton when Lucinda Williams passed it to her. For a second, it seemed inevitable that she would drop it. But she managed to recover her grip and had work to do to regain the lead. Leaning forward and with her legs pumping fluidly, she gained ground and lunged for the line. It took a photograph to determine that the U.S. had won by .28 and the four Tiger Bells took the crowd's applause. And they won the gold, which was Wilma's third gold medal of the 1960 Summer Olympics. Wilma becomes the first American woman, not black woman, the first American woman to win three gold medals in a single Olympiad. There was a great quote um, in one of the articles I was reading that said, quote, nine years after discarding her orthopedic shoes, she had four Olympic medals, three of them gold, and held two world records. And there was another quote uh, by someone who watched that race. 
that said, uh, in regards to the way that she ran, quote, the sensuality of her sprinting was in that stride. Those legs running seemed to induce hydraulic elevation. Uh, Wilma was widely, like, she was one of the most popular athletes of the Rome Olympics. And she left the Olympic Games with a whole bunch of nicknames, including, quote, the Tennessee Tornado, the fastest woman on earth, the Black Gazelle, the Black Pearl, and the Chattanooga Choo Choo. And the last one, that last one is so ridiculous. I can't stop laughing about it. The Chattanooga Choo Choo. Um, she also became one of the most highly visible black women in America and abroad at that time. She became like an instant role model for black and female athletes. And her Olympic successes elevated women's track and field in the United States to a place it had never been before. Following their huge victory, Ed takes his whole team on a big European tour. And Wilma is lauded wherever she goes. Everybody's fawning all over her. And um, they do this fabulous long tour, London, Berlin, the whole shebang. And Wilma finally arrives back home in Clarksville in October of 1960. And they throw this big homecoming parade and gala banquet. And at Wilma's insistence, the event was fully integrated, and it was the first municipal event in the city's history that was integrated, which is absolutely huge. Now, Wilma ends up running a few more races. Uh, She's still at her peak, but in 1962, two years later, she makes this huge announcement, and she decides that she is going to retire from competition um, she didn't want to keep running until she got slower. She wanted to end it all at the peak of her athletic career. So she ended her career as a world record holder in the 100 and 200 meter events and the four by 100 meter relay. And she continues her education. She finishes her college degree. She gets her bachelor's in elementary education in 1963. And that same year, she travels to West Africa as a goodwill ambassador for the U.S. State Department. She serves as a U.S. representative to the 1963 Friendship Games in Dakar, Senegal. And she visits Ghana, Guinea, Mali, and Upper Volta. She goes to sporting events and visits schools and does these guest appearances and goes on the TV and the radio. Like I said, she's this, you know, world, this, this world influence at this point. Um, and then in May of 1963, a few weeks after she gets back from her big Africa trip, Wilma joins in a big civil rights protest in her hometown, Clarksville, to desegregate one of the city's restaurants. So she is there on the front lines of that. And within a pretty short time, the mayor announces that the city's public facilities, including restaurants, would become fully integrated. Uh, In what was already a super busy year for you, she also that year marries Robert Eldridge, who happened to be the father of her child. Her dad had forbidden her to see him um, after she got pregnant. And at this point, her father uh, had passed. And so she and Robert get together. They end up staying together 17 years, eventually divorcing, but they have three additional children. Um, 
And so that's kind of her her marriage. She she actually was married a couple different times, but I didn't dig up as much about the, the uh, those in my research. But since uh, Wilma was an amateur athlete, so she wasn't getting like Nike sponsorships, right? She was an amateur athlete. She was a kid when she went to the Olympics, so she made basically no money from the Olympic Games and everything that she had run up until that point. It was all amateur. So post retirement, she had to find a way to get the rent paid. So she ends up moving into a career in, like her degree, teaching and coaching. First as a second grade teacher at Cobb Elementary, the same school that she attended when she was little. And then she was also coaching track at Burt High School, where she was an athlete herself. And she ended up moving around a bunch during her life. She lived in Chicago, Indianapolis, St. Louis, Detroit, Tennessee, California, Maine, all over the place. She published an autobiography in 1977 titled Wilma, the story of Wilma Rudolph. It served as the basis for a bunch of other books and films. In 2014, there were like 21 books written on her life, um, published uh, a lot of them for children and preschool youth to high school students to inspire them to keep striving. And in addition to teaching, she also worked for a lot of nonprofits and government-sponsored projects. So especially when it came to athletic development. In Boston, she became involved in the Federal Job Corps program. And in 1967, she served as a track specialist for Operation Champion. And then in 1981, she establishes and leads the Wilma Rudolph Foundation a nonprofit organization based in Indianapolis that trains young athletes. Uh, in 1987, she joins DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana, as the director of the women's track program. And she also was a consultant on minority affairs to the university's president. And she went on to host a local television show when she was in Indianapolis. And she was a publicist for Universal Studios, apparently, as well as uh, a television sports commentator for the 1984 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles. And she lit the cauldron to open the Pan American Games in Indianapolis in 1987. In 1992, she became vice president at Nashville Baptist Hospital. What a woman! She has all these different things that she did in her life after she was finished running. And then in um, July of 1994, shortly after her mother's death, Wilma is diagnosed with brain cancer and throat cancer. And very quickly, her health went downhill after that diagnosis. And she ends up dying November 12th, 1994, at the age of only 54, at her home in Brentwood, which is right outside Nashville. She has so many awards and honors. Um, She was the United Press International Athlete of the Year, Associated Press Woman Athlete of the Year. She received a James E. Sullivan Award. Uh, She met with President Kennedy, John John F. Kennedy, in the Oval Office. She got a National Sports Award. She was inducted into a bunch of different Hall of Fames, including the Black Sports Hall of Fame, U.S. National Track and Field Hall of Fame, the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame, the National Women's Hall of Fame. Um, She has, like, this incredibly long list of honors. Um, In 84, the Women's Sports Foundation selected her as one of the five greatest women athletes in the United States. Uh... 
1996, the same organization presented the very first Wilma Rudolph Courage Award to Jackie Joyner Kersey. Um, she also was on the list, a bunch of famous lists, including Sports Illustrated top 50 greatest sports figures of the 20th century and uh, the 20th century's greatest athletes from ESPN. Uh, And back in Tennessee in 1997, the governor proclaimed that June 23rd would be known as Wilma Rudolph Day. And on July 14th, 2004, her face appeared on a stamp. She's one of our stamp broads. She is an absolutely incredible broad. I'm so excited that I got to bring her to you today. Um, And I just want to close out with two great quotes of hers from her autobiography. The first is, quote, Believe me, the reward is not so great without the struggle. And the second, and I think this is a great one for all of us who strive, is, quote, never underestimate the power of dreams and the influence of the human spirit. We are all the same in this notion. The potential for greatness lives within us all. To learn more about Wilma Rudolph, see pictures of her and the great quotes that I listed off in this episode, head on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, you can click on over to the About page to read more about me, my bio, photos, links to all my cool stuff, and social is all there. Oh, speaking of social, are you following Broads You Should Know yet? We're on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. Are you a fan of this podcast? If so, you gotta help spread the word about us. Share your favorite episode with your friends and family, and better yet, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps new listeners to find us. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye, with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you really enjoyed Wilma's story, then you should check out some of our other athlete broads, including Vera Cheslavska, our 2021 Olympics broads, Billie Jean King, and Cthulhu Khan. See you next week for another Broad You Should Know.